This is the Epilog Audio Experience. Quick disclaimer for a podcast, the SOS show, points discussed in this podcast should not be relied upon as conclusive medical advice in any case. The host shall not be a substitute for proper medical professional. You must seek professional help in case of any requirement. Thank you. What is consciousness and how can an expansive consciousness bring about a better mental health and well-being? Lakshmi Bhatta is our guest for today's SOS show. She's been part of the Global Network of Women Forum. After nearly two decades in an international corporate career, she now works on serving through soul coaching, teaching meditative practices, intuitive guidance and counseling. She is trained in yoga and is herself a practitioner of the ancient science of Kriya Yoga. Her articles have been regularly featured in various magazines like The Life Positive. She also teaches mindfulness and business at IIM Bodhgaya. Hi Lakshmi, welcome to our podcast, The SOS Show. And it is so, so, so wonderful to have you on our show and talk about the most important and pertinent things of daily life that we often miss. So welcome. Thank you so much, Suchita. And it's great to be on this show. I've been following your journey intermittently uh, from the time you started. And as a mental health practitioner, for close to three decades, um, this is something which is very, very close to my heart. So I'm very glad and grateful to be connected with you and through you to your community. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lakshmi. It's such a pleasure. So starting with all the experience that you've had, Lakshmi, in terms of currently you are part of teaching at various IIMs, you're a regular uh, practitioner of yoga, of meditation, of collective consciousness, of Kriya Yoga, uh, everything that is benefit, uh, beneficial for, like, for our daily mental health. Uh, so tell me, Lakshmi, when we talk about understanding of consciousness, and I, we were already discussing this uh, a few days back, uh, what is it that a layman can take from it when you talk about consciousness? Sure. Um, Great question. Not a very simple one. I will attempt uh, very humbly to share whatever little I've understood because you see the field of consciousness is as vast as existence and beyond. And with our five sense of perception, um, we have a very limited understanding. So this is the, this is the first thing we need to understand that our, experience of consciousness, um, if it's limited to five senses, would be very, very limited. Having said that, Hmm. um, you see, very often, especially in these modern times, we think of us as a human body, a human being, and I'm separate from you, and I'm separate from, say, the tree in front of my window, and we are separate from each other and everything. But... Hmm. um, You know, the great saints and masters who have experienced uh, uh, the greater uh, mysteries of existence as well as um, now physics and quantum science is catching up. In fact, it's very interesting that the Nobel Nobel Prize for physics this year has gone to to quantum physicists who've been talking about quantum entanglement and this entire field of, you know, where science and spirituality kind of come together. 
And this is interesting because, you know, um, especially for the regular modern person, scientific proof is very, very important to everything. But if you go back into the older cultures, any of the older indigenous cultures which have survived across the planet, whether it is our own culture in India or whether it is some of the other Southeast Asian civilizations or in Africa uh, or in South America and so on, you will see there is a far more holistic understanding that there is a certain energy that permeates all of existence. Mm-hmm. And it is not limited, it is not defined, and it constantly morphs into so many different things. So I'll keep kind of going back into physics because, you know, for my own understanding, when my journey started, I had to make sense of some of these esoteric concepts in a way that I could understand. So, for example, Albert Einstein, whom, you know, everybody knows, and I think he was a great mystic. I think he was a yogi because the things that he said, um, you know, and if you begin to go deeper into the study or understanding of Vedanta, Uh, it all kind of begins to add up. So one of the things that he said is that energy is neither created nor destroyed in this entire multiverse. However, it can change form. So this is very, very interesting because, you know, um, to give you an analogy, it's a bit like if you look at water, water can become steam, it can become ice. So it goes to the solid liquid vapor. Now, all of who we are is also not just this solid um, kind of body that we see. There are different uh, sheets, S-H-E-A-T-H-S, sheets yes. that are there to um, every being, particularly I will focus now on the human being. And these are called, in Sanskrit, these are called the panchakoshas. Mm-hmm. And the panchakoshas, you know, and by the way, the origin of the panchakoshas comes from an ancient philosophy called Sankhya, which was propounded, you know, millennia ago by the great Kapil Muni. Now, the Panchakoshas, if you begin to understand that, um, what we see here, I'm seeing you on the screen, you're seeing my physicality, this is one part of it. This is the Annamaya Kosha, which is basically, you know, Anna from food, you know, what we eat, the grossest substance, what we eat and drink, that's what sustains this. And then there is the Manomaya Kosha, which is the mind Uh, the mind body and then there is the pranamaya kosha which is the the chi the energy the energy body and it goes to the vijnanamaya kosha which is the higher mind and ultimately the anandamaya kosha which is that which is completely bliss and is what is called eternal you know the eternal consciousness which is neither created nor destroyed Einstein said energy this is what he was referring to it was always there it will always be there so each of us from this gross um, to the subtle and then to the subtlest is an expansive field of consciousness so for me what Mm -hmm. consciousness means is um I'm talking to you right now, but uh, there are, in fact, it's kind of funny because I think sometime last week I was thinking of you and I think about 15 minutes later, I got a text message from you. So why does this happen? This is the field of, this is exactly what quantum entanglement is about for which they got the Nobel Prize this year is that, um, you know, all the time, it's not just the physical connections, which which kind of um, are there. When we think of somebody, there is already a connection in the field of consciousness. 
Mm. And wow. which is why, you know, um, I'll kind of just go into um, Hindi slash Urdu. Just, just, just quickly, quickly yeah. butting in here, Lakshmi. So from, yeah, subtle, sure. from subtler to the subtlest, you know, such an interesting. Have you been there? Have you felt that zone? Uh, okay. So um, to be honest, yes, there are moments when I have felt so expansive. So what I have realized is when we go from the gross to the subtle, um, mm. the feeling, and I can talk about feelings because everyone can understand the language of feelings, yeah. is there is a feeling of expansion. And this is an ever-expanding universe. Yeah. The nature of this universe is expansion, as is the nature of our soul, our inner yeah. core. And yeah. so wherever you feel, so I have felt it, I mean, there have been times when I've seen a beautiful sunset and in that moment, there is no me. There is there's just that beauty, you know, or I've heard a piece of music and I suddenly begin to cry and there is no me, there is no thought. There is just this feeling of being one with something so much more profound. Um, when you fall in love, you know, yeah. there is something which just makes you feel so expansive about everything and, you know, even if there are great challenges going on at that time, that that feeling which emanates, see, this is all the Anandamaya Kosha, which is kind of acting. That yeah. bliss body, that bliss body is actually what is there in every human being's core. Mm-hmm. And as we remove the layers and veils of illusion, which make yeah. us feel we are limited, we are separate, we are this, that or the other, mm-hmm. this natural flow begins to come from within us. Lovely. And so, yes, those are the moments. And of course, I have to share that when I have in the, been in the presence of great beings, um, mm. whom we can call extremely empathetic, selfless, or self-realized. Like um, who? Like, the, um, like the, the Dalai Lama, like the, for example. Yes, okay. okay. So I have to tell you my Dalai Lama story. Yeah. So, you, know, <laughs> I, I, um, you know, I briefly mentioned in my CV that for 15 Odd years, I was, you know, at the heart of corporate America is to work for the clothing company Gap as their global director and uh, looking after human rights and, you know, supply chain issues. Anyway, so I used to yeah. fly a lot to all over the world. And so one of the flights I got on to um, as I stepped in, and I, it's funny because while I was at the airport, the crowded Delhi airport, mm. I suddenly yeah. had this sense of expansion and I couldn't understand why I was feeling this in a very, very crowded, mixed energy space. Mm. And I kept fe- feeling this this expansion, which honestly, at least I've not reached the level where I'll feel it in crowded markets or in, you know, noisy malls or in airports. I wouldn't like there's just too much of mm. buzz. And, you know, I'm trying to kind of um, stay not frazzled. Right. But here, this particular instance, I have this sense of expansion. And I'm wondering why is this happening? And then I just step into the flight and lo and behold, in front of me is his holiness, <laughs> the Dalai Lama. And wow. he just says namaste. And I just kind of go, literally, I just go wow. And I say namaste. And I'm sitting like three seats behind him for a nine hour flight from Delhi to London. Honestly, um, I'm glad you mentioned him because you are yeah. right. That was one of the most expansive experiences. And the problem with that is I was so spaced out because as it is, you're 35,000 feet yeah. above. <laughs> when you're yeah. in this immense field, um, it took me a lot of energy and work to get myself 
back into my body. So yes, that is one definite um, experience of expansion I had. And um, similarly, you know, um, I've, I've been in the presence of Mother Teresa. That was another time I felt um, there was so much yeah. of compassion yeah. oozing yeah. from her heart. And, you know, yeah. um, I have I have felt this when I went to um, Mahatma Gandhi's, um, you know, the place where he got shot, which is his kind of memorial. Yeah. And I don't know what happened. I just, um, I just broke down. I mean, it's, it's not that I've been a huge, you know, I'm, I mean, of course, I've always respected him and his contribution, but I'm totally talking about the feeling where something deeper hits you and it's happened there. And of course, I have my, my I'm blessed to have my, my guru, Sri M, uh, from whom I got initiated into Kriya Yoga. Uh, when I have sat in his, in his field, I noticed that thoughts stop in my mind. And when the wow. thoughts stop, there is a feeling of expansion automatically. So that has then, you know, uh, it's been my personal experiment to see that is it that when the thoughts, because thoughts are dualistic in nature, we are constantly jumping between the two lobes of the brain, right? The brain is um, right and left and it's kind of dualistic in nature. So is it that when there is a cessation of thoughts, that something deeper begins to emerge and I've experienced this multiple times and I think there is something to this. So maybe all of yoga and meditation is a technique, technology, you know, um, effort to slow down the pace of the thoughts in our monkey minds so that when it begins to settle, something naturally emerges. Yeah, that's beautiful. Actually, tell me this. I've constantly asked this question because... I'm so much into meditation myself, yoga, trying to expand my consciousness. Uh, I'm, we're going to come back to expansive consciousness uh, in a bit. But yeah. before that, just tell me this, Lakshmi, is it possible to become thoughtless? Is it possible for the human mind? <clears throat> Are you saying that all the yogis do become thoughtless? Are you saying that the, the, the Lai Lama kind of a life condition becomes thoughtless? Are you also saying that they do not go through other frequencies of life they do not come to the lower frequencies like fear like you know envy like whatever other you know five other life states we have Mm, great question so again this is my limited understanding because i'm nobody to talk about the states of consciousness of great beings but what i have seen uh, particularly with some of them whom i have met multiple times and kind of studied in different situations or at least observed um I think the difference between them and us is they can consciously choose the thought, Mm. the state of thought and the state of being. And if they need to go into a state of cessation, they Mm. can do that consciously too. With us, it's a little bit more difficult because many times we are not able to control what is going on in these, you know, sort of uh, these uh, bioenergy bodies of ours. And, uh, also, what we don't realize many a times, especially in these times when there is so much of um, everything from radiation, which comes from, say, technology, you know, from the technological yeah. mobile towers to laptop, mobiles, this radiation, that radiation, microwaves. And then, of course, there's a lot of cosmic energy which hits the earth, you know, day in and day out. So we're in a field of so much of energy um, and all of this impacts us. 
because we are also generators. We are also receivers and generators. And that is why when I think of you, maybe you will pick up that thought and call me in five minutes, you know, which mm-hmm. happens many times between people because we don't realize that we are actually receivers and transmitters and we are doing this all the time, which yeah. is why, you know, Hamesha Bachpan may, sorry, I'm just switching to Hindi for a moment. You know, people would say, ki aur ka asar hota. I mean, if somebody yeah. is thinking good thoughts about you or if somebody is cursing you, both have an effect. This is because there is a transmission and there is a reception. And so, so energy we, does so energy does constantly flow between us, depends absolutely. on the strength of frequency of that energy. So of course yes. it's the truth of when we feel the telepathy. The telepathic yes. connections are absolutely. True. It's always flowing. So, for example, um, in the past, when people used to live, say, um, you know, uh, homes were kind of, you know, more spread out. Land was available, and so, say, within a four walls, also you would have, you know, maybe a smaller set of people. Now, when we live in these condos and towers and, you know, sort of 40 stories and six towers, think of how many energy bodies are constantly vibrating in and out, the kind of frequencies depending on where they are in terms of their own kind of, you know, vibrational level. And sensitive souls tend to pick up this, what I call the energetic smog, right? And we absorb it and sometimes we get impacted. So daily practices like yoga, pranayama, meditation is to help us clear our energy body so that we are kind of sort of reset. Now, with great beings and masters and so on, they have gone above, um, you know, this. their frequency is so high that the lower energies are really not able to affect them or impact them anymore. And that is why, you know, so many great masters throughout time, they would have had you know, thousands of people milling around them, coming to meet them. And yet you'll see them smiling. You'll see them, you know, still holding that vibration of love and they don't get tired. They don't get exhausted. They don't get annoyed and angry. And I wish I could say that, but I know that sometimes when I meet certain people, I come back and then it takes me a day to kind of recover my. So if we understand that everything in this universe is actually an energy exchange, everything. Everything Mm. is an energy exchange. Then we become more uh, discerning about what we allow into our field and what we don't. Sometimes we don't have a choice. Sometimes we do. And so consciously exercising that choice is, I think, what we do while we're on the journey. Yeah, It's beautiful. Beautiful, Beautifully explained. Lakshmi, tell me, let's talk about collective consciousness. And Mm. uh, uh, we already discussed this um, in a bit. we, We are currently in a situation, the life situation of the world is very tumultuous. You know, we see mm. uh, polarized opinions. We are seeing, uh, you know, a lot of uh, frictions that is happening uh, between nations, uh, between individuals, between the mm. right and the left wing, as we call it, uh, uh, which is affecting a lot of people's mental health. Social media is uh, you know, uh, just pushing it to another level if we are constantly there. Here we are talking about expansive consciousness of beings who are unaffected by other people's frequencies. So how do, how do we use that as a collective consciousness? And even if it's possible, of course, the people have become uh, more aware about mindfulness and meditation mm-hmm. and 
the practices of it that's penetrating into every sphere of our life. But how is that exactly, or rather I would ask, what is the speed of that uh, to tilt whatever is happening currently in the world uh, to a more positive outcome? Sure. Again, once again, I think it's a very relevant question for these times. Um, You know, so a few years ago, I think about a decade ago, when things had sort of started shifting at a very rapid pace in the world outside, and I could see it in my, you know, in the business structures or in some of the governmental structures I used to engage in, in the social structures, and of course, media then went up, you know, every Mm -hmm. decade. Uh, media and social media has had a quantum shift. You know, it's gone to a completely in a, a different level. Yeah. And so it felt um, like it does right now that things are actually getting worse. Mm. And, um, you know, at that point, I remember kind of, uh, uh, you know, reading, listening to some things and also meeting some people who said that very often um, a crisis is what precedes transformation. You see, for the human consciousness to shift to the next level, it's a quantum shift. It's not a linear shift. Yes. Something has to happen which yeah. forces them out of their self-hypnosis and their comfort zone. That all we are here for is to, you know, to study, to earn, you know, to whatever, get married, have kids, and then, uh, you know, make sure our progeny sort of continues and then yeah. we die and go... Um, I really don't think that is the purpose, the largest purpose of the human existence. I believe a little bit from my experience, but from also, you know, having heard and studied uh, such matters over the last 20 odd years that we are actually energy beings who choose to have a human experience when we come Mm -hmm. into this planetary dimension called Earth. It's a choice we make. Wow. And that is because there is certain refinements and soul lessons that, mm. um, you know, we have to learn. Um, a couple of years ago, actually three, four years ago, when I was listening to the Bhagavatam, Bhagavatam is an ancient scripture, you know, uh, which is, it's it's a series of stories and I love stories mm. and I think mm. at heart I'm a storyteller myself. Mm. So um, I learn best when I learn through stories rather than dry philosophy that doesn't work for me. Mm. So in Bhagavatam, there's a series of uh, stories um, um, and it is connected all with Lord Vishnu and his avatars and the stories of his devotees and so on. And for anybody who's interested, Kamla Subramaniam's English version is the easiest and very well-written, very simple, wonderful book to read the Bhagavatam. Anyway, Mm. so within that, you know, um, there are some there are some sort of very interesting things that they talk about where they say that, um, for example, you know, for a soul to attain liberation, okay, Mm. now those of the people who are searching for something deeper and are searching for freedom and liberation from the cycle of, you know, life and death, not everybody maybe, and that's okay too. Um, The funny thing is it's said in one of those scriptures, I think this is a Bhagavatam, where it says that for beings from every dimension, you can only get liberation if you come into a human body. That is the importance of a human body. So that embodiment of the human body is the only vessel through which um, 
a soul can attain that transformation of full liberation and that hit me with such a force because as to read and listen to a lot of masters who would say you know you don't know how lucky you are that you have a human body and you know not every soul gets a human body and don't waste your life and all of them I, I would think yeah like whatever but like tell me what's important because there's so many struggles you know connected with the human existence yeah, you know so many, yeah. bodily emotional mental level i'm like Correct. i'm so exhausted yeah. this makes no sense to me <laughs> then when i heard things like this i'm like wow and so i remember asking one of the masters so you mean to tell me if there are other realms he said there are other realms i have been to them so you know i, I can't yeah well you know these great beings can move around in multiple ways well by the way so can you and i once yeah. we begin to access our multidimensionality which is not here or there it is just yeah. by activating certain centers of our brain we yeah. are able to access our own multidimensionality after which astral travel and a whole host of other things can happen yeah. okay so yeah. uh, anyway coming back to this so the fact is i i asked him i said so you mean to say there is a devaloka of there is a nagaloka because this particular master's uh, autobiography talks about his visit uh, and his uh, interaction with certain beings from the sarpaloka wow um, mm. yeah and by the way yoga the science of yoga has been given to us from there you know um, wow. and the kundalini shakti and so on but i won't get into mm. that right now so anyway the fact is he said yes i said so from those lokas also the beings have to take a physical human body for liberation and he says yes if they have to be liberated from all of these from the circus that is how important the human body is this embodiment is which is why in many cultures they call the human body the walking temple of divinity it's because the core the core is that divinity that divine spark which is in every creation and it is um more shinier more sparkly in the human species because we are mm. kind of at this point at the zenith of that creation because we are the only species which is self aware which mm. can tap into consciousness and that's because of the development of our brain you know so um this is how important our existence is now if we begin to view it from that and so that was uh, kind of an interesting thing for me because after that what happened to me suchita is whenever i would see people around me including mixed groups of people i have this funny game this is sort of i haven't said this to anybody this is a silly mm. game i play i look at them and i'll think i wonder which loka this person <laughs> must be this loka this person must be from an asura loka and i do this whole thing i mean it's kind of like a private thing i do but it just helps me accept people with different tendencies with different behaviors with different um, approaches to life in a much more lighter um almost humorous vein i'm good at laughing at myself too a lot and yeah. so um you know i kind of allow myself to have a private joke about various people i see yeah. so honestly maybe this this is how it is we are just a whole set of different beings who are trying to fumble and stumble and you know find our way through uh, all of existence and yeah. uh, we're trying to figure it out and therefore uh, coming back to kind of how this has influenced my own approach to life so there is no one way which is the right way 
there is no one way to look at all of life or each other which is why diversity you talked about so much of violence and you know yeah. so much of uh, entrenchment of ideologies this is because people begin to think that my way is the only way and it's my way or the highway right yeah yeah that's what not what existence teaches us or tells us and for that we just need to look around us the same energy that same consciousness which is at my and your core um decided at least you know at this point decided to create such a diverse beautiful world so many multiverses universes if you just look at the plant and the animal kingdom there is so much of diversity what is the message mother nature is trying to give us that diversity is the imprint of all of creation so why are we so and, and and i'll kind of put this out there even in the media if you kind of look at a lot of the mainstream media rhetoric they want everyone to look the same talk the same dress the same be the same size have the same skin color believe in similar ideologies you know depending on where you are this side that side in between um you know there's so much of brainwashing and influencing that is done to get people to move away from the core of who they are which could be a completely beautiful free unique being so you know if we are able to celebrate that uniqueness in ourselves and each other and accept it fully in ourselves mm-hmm. first because mm-hmm. anything we don't accept in ourselves we can never accept in another human being Mm-hmm. or in london but, but but you're talking about diversity uh, in a good way in a positive way which is which is what actually it is mm-hmm. or it should be but tell me but but when we talking about uh, you know diversity in values uh when we talking about uh, things like blinding competition uh mm. or blinding competitiveness which can lead mm. to unethical practices mm. uh which is leading to uh the destruction of the world uh people mm. are now fighting for uh their share in the space you know mm. so um we're talking about these kind of extreme ambitions but but this is just one of the examples and of course there is mm. mu- much more of that like for example in offices in multinationals mm. which can uh, tremendously affect a person's you know, mental health because one could lead to one person could be unethical in their approach to life and can have different values another person could be have an ethical approach to life and have another set of values uh what what is your thought process there so um I'd like to answer this on two levels. Um mm. first on the philosophical consciousness level mm. and then I'll come down to the brass tacks because I was a part of you know this kind yeah. of setup. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. on the philosophical consciousness level um you know throughout the history of of humanity as we know since the last few millennia um when we come onto the earthly plane there will always be dualistic opposing forces that are active this is the nature of existence in this earthly plane this is a plane of duality hmm. so the first thing is to philosophically understand that there is always duality which is working there is night and day there is life and death there is good and bad it just hmm. as you have 
you know, the full moon, you have the new moon. This is the nature of existence. We are only one subset of that. So philosophically, we make peace with the fact that this is how it is. Having said that, you mentioned something earlier. How do we sort of circumvent or transcend this? Mm. When enough souls through conscious awareness or mindfulness begin to extract themselves out of this matrix, I call this entire world here a 3D matrix. And if you've seen the matrix triology, it is closer to the truth of existence than we can even believe because the Wachowski brothers were, you know, well, now they are, yeah. um, you know, they have had a gender change, but they were basically students of uh, Bhagavad Gita. And so a lot of, wow. uh, that mm-hmm. philo- yes, a lot of, it. Lot of it yeah, is there. In fact, yeah. I think it is in, um, uh, I think the third one where uh, towards the end, there are Gita hymns being chanted. It's there. Go back and watch the series. So we're mm-hmm. actually in a matrix. It's a mm-hmm. holographic matrix. This, all yeah. of this existence that is why it's called maya or illusion and so on there is some truth to that the fact is that when enough beings make a conscious choice of getting out of the matrix and we awaken that is the great awakening then we are no longer controlled by the software program that runs this hologram Mm. okay so um all spiritual practices uh, put us on the path on that journey and then at the right time you know if you're sincere I think the right guidance keeps coming it's almost like when we start our journey in some lifetime it's a bit like you know uh, the journey of conscious awareness is like you enter school you start from nursery you have different mm-hmm. class teachers as you move up the grades your teachers change and you know yeah. there is one headmaster or you know school principal who's kind of looking after the entire kind of group of souls and yeah. similarly there is you know there are great beings who are kind of governing our own progress and at the right time they guide us onwards and onwards and off- onwards and eventually we awaken one way or the other other and we are free now this period of time in the planetary consciousness is a very critical time now i'm just going to reference a little bit of what is said in the bhagavad gita you see everyone we commonly refer to this period of time as kalyug or the age of of darkness right um the good thing about these times is that you know when we are in the age of light Think of it like this. It's like the sun which is blazing at noon. Yeah. If you have to um, liberate yourself, there is a lot of effort you need to put in to shine so brightly that you're finally free. Yeah. But when it's the age of darkness, even if you light one candle, the light spreads so fast. So this is a time when with a little bit of effort, we can make huge spiritual progress. And mm-hmm. it said somewhere in the Gita that this is a time, therefore maximum souls will be there on the planet because the the timing is right, ripe for us to make that shift in consciousness. And therefore mm-hmm. um, we see eight and a half billion souls on this earth. Now, I think the only difference is in how, con- how many are conscious yeah. of why we are here and what we are meant to do and yeah. and how many of us just get lost in the dualistic game that we see played out on every level in our lives. Yeah, yeah that's beautiful. Ashmi, tell me, you're talking about the, the dualistic game in which everyone is caught up. Everyone wants to be at the top. Everyone wants to do their thing. 
you know everyone everyone wants to uh, become rich they are running after money people want to be elon musk they want to uh, there is uh, such high end like repeating the same word unethical practices everywhere so you're saying that if we get above the plane of this dualistic existence which will happen through a conscious expansion of your life which will which is through meditation uh one of the things meditation is one of the things there are some more I'll, i'll share with you yes one of the things there's some more but uh will we have a better existence or do you think that uh that's not the way the human life is designed the human life is designed to uh, compete and uh, you know uh, move one step ahead of each other uh, do you no. think that our life our life become becomes uh better the human planet becomes better if we uh, consciously choose a more uh collaborative way of existence rather than you know that this constant one step ahead of the other person okay um it's very simple uh, mm. all we need to do is to go back into history mm. a few hundred years a few thousand years and we'll see that all cultures which thrived thrived on a spirit of interconnectedness and collaboration mm. uh, with not just with other people but with mm. all of nature which is why in our ancient scriptures you have you know uh, sayings like vasudeva kutumbakam which means all of existence is one yeah. big interconnected family which yeah. now science will talk about things like the butterfly effect it says of a butterfly yes. flapping wings here yeah. it's going to rain yeah. in africa so mm. that is how interconnected we are therefore mm. what modern management science or economics has tried to push in the last few decades yeah. of compete and against each other no matter what growth at any cost and i'll come to the economics in a moment yeah, yeah. Um, it's actually a false ideology that has been foisted unnaturally through education systems and mm. other structures mm-hmm. human beings at you know our core mm. if we tune into our core we will know there is no other there is only one so uh. whom are we competing against mm. whom are we trying to outshine yeah having said that each of us holds a unique blueprint Mm. uh the, the great energy of creation it's not a person it's not like a god sitting somewhere and creating clay models and throwing it down but this yeah. energy of creation um chose to embody itself as you and me and mm-hmm. eight and a half other billion people there mm. is a reason because each of us in that larger um how do i say in that larger jigsaw puzzle in yeah. that larger canvas holds a very unique imprint a beautiful color and why we are here is so that we can offer the best of who we are into that tapestry so that this yeah. becomes a beautiful vibrant radiant tapestry my role is not to come and throw black ink at your beautiful color yeah. or at what you are trying to create however this is what ignorance does when we are schooled in ignorance yeah. when you know certain um philosophies are foisted upon us and then there are economic structures that back that up 
a lot of chaos mm-hmm. can happen. So, um, can I speak about economics for a few minutes here yes. because it's yes. really, yes. really important. Yeah. Uh, we need to understand what is happening in terms of global structures and systems economically and mm-hmm. how they are impacting all our lives. Yeah, this goes back to four decades ago, uh, really the time of Reaganomics when. Ronald Reagan. He was not yeah. a politician, but he suddenly becomes the president of United States. Mm-hmm. And there were very clear lobbies at work. There was a yeah. very clear agenda. Um, yeah. There were a few changes that happened in corporate America, and mm-hmm. today, four decades later, we are pri- paying a price for that globally. So, a couple of them that I will mention, and I'll tell you the book you need to read to understand this more in depth, and whose podcast you should be listening to. Yeah. And I hope one day you interview her. Yeah. So, uh, Marianne Williamson. Marianne Williamson. Her presidential speeches um, are are all about this. And her book, The Power of Love, is mm-hmm. about the politics of love. Sorry, the politics mm-hmm. of love is mm-hmm. is a counter um, kind of uh, narrative mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. the politics of greed and separation and so on. It's a beautiful mm-hmm. book. So anyway, what she goes on to say and and prove is that look, when these changes happened, so a couple of changes that happened when Ronald Reagan became the president was this: for the first time, U.S. corporations were made responsible only to the and accountable only to the shareholders and no other stakeholder. Up till that point, they were accountable to the consumers, to the communities from where they sourced, to the environmental groups, and to so many other stakeholders. But suddenly the rules were changed and companies were told you are only accountable to the shareholders and so you have to keep maximizing profits for them. This is number one. Mm. Secondly, so this meant you had to get onto that treadmill of growth at all cost and quarter on quarter on quarter which is so insane and so unsustainable and when you are on that growth trajectory someone somewhere is paying a price which I'll come in a moment yeah and the second big change was it was only then that the CEOs of large multinational corporations were allowed to be shareholders and stockholders in their own companies, which till that point was a conflict of interest. So when you have um, people at the top for whom maximizing profit Mm -hmm. becomes their main driver, Mm -hmm. then everything else becomes a collateral damage. And so we see that that is the philosophy because this trickle-down economic theory, this is what it's called, four decades of that has essentially made 1% on the planet richer than the rest of the 90%. Yes, yes. And so this is so skewed. This is so out of balance. Now, if we go back to the Bhagavatam, uh, it talks about the different cycles of time. And whenever imbalance becomes so skewed and intense, there is a way Mother Nature steps in and corrects the balance because you see, Earth is also a living being. We call her Mother Nature because there is life, there is prana. We eat, you know, uh, the the plants. We eat some of us animals, all of which have been fed on that life force which comes to us from the sun. It's living, it's dynamic, and that's what gives us life, right? 
And so we've forgotten that. We've forgotten all of that. And this economic model is what we have shipped into country after country, after market, after market, after market, in such a skewed way. The person who actually um, set forth this, this theory, he had also, I forget his name, is a professor from Harvard, Mm-hmm. who kind of fine-tuned the theory. There were others who, you know, maybe 100 years ago were talking about it, uh, this whole trickle-down theory. The trickle-down theory essentially said that if the top people make a lot of wealth, then it's going to trickle down to help everybody else. But what he had argued is this can only happen if the top-level people have a very strong moral compass mm-hmm. and want to do the right thing and are willing to share this wealth. And so some of yeah. this gets, you know, forgotten by many there are still some amazing companies corporations um you know the time that i worked for one it was a great place to be in so there are people doing the right things so don't get me wrong it's not that everybody's yeah but this is what we are taught and when i teach in some of the management schools i get appalled by how competition is pushed yeah because that actually goes against our nature and therefore how does that play out we see more more so-called successful people maybe. Yeah. yeah. They're unhappy, they're depressed, their yeah. personal lives are in tatters. Yeah. You know, they they sort of either they check out or they burn out faster yeah. and faster and faster. And then of yeah. course post-pandemic, it has a direct impact on physical and mental and emotional health. Yeah. And you have the mess that we are in. Yeah. And of course we see uh, the rise in suicides and we see heart heart attacks happening at very early ages because people are just wanting to move at a maddening pace this is especially seen in the startup world you know that's constantly comparing and getting wanting to get into the unicorn space uh which is uh absolutely crazy uh so sorry if we, I can just, sorry yeah if i can just say one thing yeah uh, can you see suchita how how against the natural laws we are currently operating as a species because in nature there is day when everything is alert and alive and there is a night which means you work and you rest you know you're supposed to sleep you're supposed to actually follow these you know natural cycles which have such a direct impact on your circadian rhythm on your metabolism all of these things which impact your health very very directly if yeah. you don't have melatonin being secreted in your brain every night, which cannot happen if you don't go into deep sleep, then the cellular repair does not happen. So we don't yeah. understand that what we are doing by living this kind of life is actually harming our own selves. So we are currently... But, but, but maybe maybe they're enjoying that. Maybe that is how they are metabolically uh, designed. So- so no, so they're not yeah. metabolically designed so, like that. Mm-hmm. What happens is when you're always in this flight or fight mode, yes, then there are certain hormones which get secreted. So you have cortisol yeah. and adrenaline, which yeah. gets secreted, you know, because you're constantly yeah. on that adrenaline rush and you're in that high and you're going, go, 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 go. Now, let me tell you, yeah. if you have cortisol and adrenaline, which gets pumped into your body, consistently over a longer duration it begins to impact it's a little bit like you're on steroids because these are Mm -hmm. steroids 
Yeah. And your other organs begin to get impacted. There is an imbalance in the blood chemistry because the other hormones which are required like oxytocin, melatonin, serotonin, dopamine, these are not getting secreted enough. And so what do you, what happens just like if you go on to steroids without any control is you'll suddenly see the muscles and everything bulging out. And then one day you have multiple organ failure and you're gone. This but is then, also but, we are but, enjoying, but, yeah. but we, are, we are basically self-destructing. Self-destructing. But just to play the devil's advocate here and counter it, saying that if we do not have that, we're not going to have innovators. We're not going to have Steve Jobs. We won't have, uh, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, if I may use, uh, if I may take his name, we might not have Elon Musk, you know. Uh, they are the they are the game changers. The game changers come from that kind of an adrenaline uh, adrenaline rush. Okay, so, okay. Uh, what do you explain? So, no, no. So, there's nothing against. You would not yeah. have great sports people. You would not yeah. have, you know, people who climb the Everest. Absolutely no adrenaline. is a very important, uh, uh, you know, hormone. Don't get yeah. me wrong. The point yeah. is, if you're constantly climbing Mount Everest without yeah. ever resting. And by the way, Elon Musk has a pretty cool chill i've seen some of his documentaries so he knows <laughs> yeah. how to switch off he knows you know he has his um, he plays with his kids he does a lot of very very um childlike things which keep yeah. him connected to his uh to his right brain yeah which is where the childlike innocence the fun the spontaneity is yeah, yeah. and uh, you know, um, in that people like Steve Jobs and others, look, you have a lot of people who come who are innovators, scientists. Yeah. They come with a very clear purpose for a short time. They're here on the planet yeah. with a mission. Yeah. They yeah. come, they fulfill the mission, they leave. That's a slightly different group of people because, you know, their game plan is so clear in their blueprint. They'll just come, they'll do what they need to, and then they exist. Exit, sorry. But for a lot of us, the regular people, it's, you know, most of our lives we are struggling to find our purpose. We just don't know yeah. what our mission is, you know. So yeah. this is this is for them. Yeah. The point is, great masters like Buddha yeah. always talked about the importance of balance, of being in yeah. the center. And I'll come back to balance because it's the same message that Lord Krishna gives to Arjuna in the Bhagavad Gita. He says, this path is not for one who eats too much or eats too little. Yoga, that's a path of yoga. Yeah, or yeah. sleeps too much or sleeps too little. So, you know, yeah. when these are the messages that are given out, what is the message? It's about balance. Yeah, It's about balance. And since you said you're a practitioner of meditation and yoga, yeah. Yeah. you know, one of the symbols um, that we see very much in, in sort of the Indian yogic analogies is the Trishul, right? This is the yeah. trident. Yeah. Now, what I have heard from the great yogis is the trident actually represents the three main nadis or the energy meridians in our human body. Yeah. So on our right side, we have what is called the pingla or yeah. the, the sun, the surya nadi. 
which is kind of the male energy flow. And on the left, we have the Chandranadi, which is the Ida. And this is kind of the feminine energy flow. And then the center is the channel, which is called the Sushumna Nadi. So most of us to get through life are prana every hour. You can check this for yourself. Every hour, the breathing of our nostril shifts from the right to left. This happens every hour. So sometimes when it's in the right nostril, the flow is warm. And if it's in the left, it is cool. Um, But for the yogis, for the people who have transcended this, this constant shift between the two, their energy flow happens in the center. It's through the sushumna. Mm. This is why the importance is given to centeredness, to the middle path, because the middle path is actually where the magic is. And as as the breath begins to flow through the sushumna, the central channel, um, we begin to blossom as beings, which means more to your question about creativity and innovation. There is a natural blossoming of our creative faculties, of our Mm. inherent wisdom, of our innovative abilities, of our understanding of ourselves, life and existence and our purpose. And therefore, when any kind of manifestation or co-creation comes from that depth of wisdom and understanding, it's effortless effort. It happens. Wow. Wow, wow, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Uh, just to quickly, just to, to quickly add one more question before we wrap up. Uh, Lakshmi, tell me, since you've mentioned about the 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 Sushumna uh, Nari and the middle path and uh, blossoming and the manifestation that happens once we tap that, a couple of techniques that you know the listeners can use to uh, yeah, tap this form of meditation. Sure. So um, I'm not a master. I'm very much a seeker on the path. But I would recommend since this is the age of technology, there are some great resources. And so uh, one of the resources, and I can send you the links later so you can share it, you know, um, as a link, uh, is a very simple um, meditation called the HUMSAW, H-U-M-S-A-U. Hamsa meditation and if you just google 3m and the Hamsa meditation there's a 13 minute link in which this process is simply very simply explained and this helps you to connect with your inner heart and then sort of begin that process which will help you to align and like I said you know my own experience is when you begin to kind of search and move along the path then you know, when the student is ready, the teacher will come. So one yes. way or the other, the teacher reaches out and, you know, sort of continues to guide you. Um, so that's definitely one thing that I would recommend. The other is from um, just from yoga, the Anulom Vilom Pranayam is very yes. good to balance both your Ida Pingla Nadis and to help the breath come into the Sushumna. So yeah. Um, many people would know this. If you want me to give a quick demo, I can do that. Uh, just let me know. Or there are enough uh, Anulom Vilom demonstrations yes. on YouTube. People yeah. can just search. And what that does, by the way, it's great to bring down your stress levels. Yeah. It's great to uh, balance your blood pressure. 
and get your parasympathetic uh, nervous system active. So Anilom Vilom is something highly recommended in these high stress times. And then of course, grounding. Grounding is one thing I want to mention because we are in this constant energy smog, which keeps overactivating our mind. And our nerves get tired by the end of the day when you want to sleep. Your mind doesn't shut down. When you get up in the morning, you wake up exhausted. So the only answer for that is in Mother Nature. Go out, get some sunshine in the morning, walk bare feet on grass or soil um, for a few minutes. And all this extra electromagnetic energy which builds up in your body will get earthed, will get grounded do this every day, you will find a huge difference in just how much of nervous energy there is in yeah, the, yeah. you know, in yeah. the head. Yeah. yeah. Just to one quick, one quick last question before we wrap is because you teach mindfulness in business schools. Uh, do you think that the practice of mindfulness and I think uh, the meditations that you just also mentioned are all also all practices of mindfulness, uh, does that make the world more transparent? Does that make the world more ethical? And does it make the world more um, unhurried? Mm. So um, any practice that we uh, begin to do consciously and mindfulness is a conscious practice of awareness yeah. where we are basically choosing to do everything or think everything, or say everything with awareness. Mindfulness is not something else. Mindfulness is every act from the time you wake up till you sleep is done with awareness. That is mindfulness. Or done consciously. Is done consciously. That is, it's with conscious awareness. So for example, you know, you've said something and I get triggered, but there is something in in me which says, pause, don't react, step back, and then respond. There's a difference between reaction and response. In mindfulness, we react less and less. We go more into the space of conscious response. So there's a gap. There's a gap between the stimuli and the response. In that gap, something deeper begins to operate. And when that becomes a daily practice, this space begins to expand. And so that's your expansive consciousness. Yes, you you are then in that field of expansion because, yeah. you know, a thought reaction, stimuli reaction is all happening here. We are not dropping into our heart. So, no, yeah. these thoughts are electrical in nature yeah. and our heart is magnetic in nature. Yeah. The okay. field of the heart is unified. It's a unified field yeah. and uh, electrical thoughts are dualistic in nature. There's always a positive yeah. and a negative field. So yeah. constantly, consciously dropping into your heart space yeah. is one of the ways of seeing how am I feeling in this moment? How do I feel about something? Asking those questions is a starting point for being more aware. Instead of constantly saying, they did this, they did that, where the attention is outside of me. Mindfulness starts with bringing yeah. the attention inside of me how am i feeling about it when somebody is doing this that and the other and how do i choose to respond so as we begin to become more conscious and take responsibility for our own responses and what we put out into this world the field of collective consciousness will begin to shift and change if you're putting out more polarity more separation more judgment 
you know, more fear. That's what the pandemic, there was one pandemic of the virus. There was a greater pandemic of fear. Yeah. And, you know, um, so what happened to the energy body of the planet with this kind of fear is what we are now having to disentangle and remove. So we need to understand that what we put out there definitely influences the ocean. Mm. We may be a drop, but we're a drop of the ocean. And so that responsibility comes when we begin to be more mindful about how we are. And all of this starts, Suchita, with self-love. We've never been taught to love ourselves, which means to accept all of who we are fully. And let me say one thing to you. So much of how we are trained is to only look at the light part of us, the good side of us. But as human beings, there is a shadow side, which is equally important. If we don't understand the dance between the light and shadow, we will never understand all of who we are. And it's from that understanding and experiencing of all of who we are that we become purna, that we heal. And when we come into that space of completion and we offer that completion to another, to the world, it's a different, different game out there. Wow. Wow. I hope that people who are living a more conscious existence, of course, get a better edge than people who are not. And they enable the tran- transformation of the world faster through their collective consciousness. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't need 8 billion souls to transform. Yeah. I have heard somewhere, I've read in multiple places that if a few hundred thousand transform and are vibrating at that high frequency wow. of awareness, that creates a tipping point into the field of consciousness. So wow. I think we are kind of getting there. Another few, few hundred thousand will create the tipping point. Wow. Yes. Awesome. Thank yes. you so much. Lovely chatting with you, Lakshmi, oh, as always. Thank you. Now, this was so much of fun. I really enjoyed it especially meditation being moving from subtler to subtlest the most difficult thing to do that's it folks uh for this weekend i'll see you guys next week uh, with more talks on mental health and well-being don't forget to follow us on our instagram and twitter handle that's our show part